0: well, it's my delight to introduce our morning devotion speaker in chapel today. The Reverend Sam Paschal is currently a pastor at Mission Hills Church in San Marcos, California, where he's been for the last 12 years. We're delighted to have him here. He's got a wife, I think four children, right? Five, sorry. Five. So five children. <laughs> Wonderful. So please come and bring God's word to us. Thank you, Julius, and thank you all for having me here. It's a great privilege for me to be here together with you all this morning. Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be in verses 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, where there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It was my third year in college, and I was part of the way through a philosophy minor, and I was assigned a text from the journals of Soren Kierkegaard. I sat down to read what I assumed would be just another text from just another philosopher. I didn't know at that point that Soren Kierkegaard was no ordinary philosopher. And so I read, What would be the use of discovering so-called objective truth? of working through all the systems of philosophy and of being able, if required, to review them all and show up the inconsistencies within each system. What good would it do me to be able to develop a theory of the state and combine all the details into a single whole and so construct a world in which I did not live but only held up to the view of others? What good would it do me to be able to explain the meaning of Christianity If it had no deeper significance for me and for my life, what good would it do to me if truth stood before me, cold and naked, not caring whether I recognized her or not, and produced in me a shudder of fear rather than a trusting devotion? This morning I posed Kierkegaard's question to you, but in a somewhat different manner. What good would it do to you to have a perfectly constructed doctrine of sin? To have a well-honed explanation of the total depravity of the human race? To be able to articulate the precise nature of original sin and its noetic effects while remaining profoundly ignorant of its ravaging and ongoing effects in your own heart? So many that I have encountered, myself included, in the Christian community live precisely in this paradox. Nearly all of my pastoral counsel is composed of navigating this tension in the lives of my congregation, people who know they are sinners, but are tragically unaware of its effects on their own heart. The degeneration of relationships is almost always, to varying degrees, bound up with this reality. Most everyone I have met, non-Christians included, claims no one is perfect, everyone makes mistakes, or I didn't mean to do it, or my all-time favorite, what one of my pastor friends likes to call the Ryan Lochte apology, named aptly after the clownish American Olympic swimmer, it is the, this isn't really who I am, statement. I always want to ask after a statement like that. Well, if it wasn't really you who did it, then who did? As I come here to Westminster Seminary and speak to a room full of seminarians, my concern is for you particularly. You are all in the grips of a great temptation. The temptation for our purposes here this morning is to so craft a doctrine of sin in which you did not live but only held up. To the view of others, as Kierkegaard would say. The temptation is to be able to give a hearty and rightful defense of what the canons of Doric codify, that we became involved in blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment, became wicked, rebellious, and obdurate of heart and will, and impure in our affections. The temptation is to have a clean theology, but a dirty heart. It's a grave danger to neglect our own hearts and the degree to which we ourselves have been so distorted and warped. It is into this confrontation with ourselves that we are called by our Master, Lord, and friend, Jesus Christ. He commends to us in this part of the Sermon on the Mount to both evaluate how we are assessing others, stating with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and also to consider our own sinfulness. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This morning I'd like to do a few short and simple things. I'd like to share with you the ground of the practice of self-examination, the method of self-examination, and the fruit of self-examination. I don't have time here today to... Really explore the reward of self-examination, other than to say it's commensurate with the fruit of the Spirit. Nevertheless, the ground of the practice of self-examination is our union with Christ. The uniting of our person with His through the power of the Holy Spirit entable entails a superabundance of benefits, which I have neither the time nor capacity to exhaust. Sufficient for our purposes today is our justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The catalytic power of our justification is what gives us the sure and stable foundation upon which we can examine the condition of our own hearts without collapsing either into despair or to self-pity. Because of the sure and faithful word of No condemnation proclaimed over you in Christ. There's no darkness in your heart that is not covered by the gracious gift of Christ's own righteousness. This is contrary to what some in the church have popularized using passages like Philippians 3.13, who claim that we are to, quote, forget what is behind They have used the article of justification by faith alone to say that there is no longer any reason to look back or look in at our own hearts. Besides being poor exegesis of the passage and exposition, Paul literally just finished looking back at his own sin. It's terrible counsel. To remain ignorant of our own hearts is tantamount to choosing a path of the fool, which the Proverbs consistently warn us about. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. No. Rather, you are free under the liberating power of the gospel to open up the chambers of your heart, even its darkest corners, to your Father and to experience his knowing and loving gaze at you in Christ. As Brother Giles said, you must always remember God's ability to forgive is greater than your ability to sin. You are free under the liberating power of the gospel to open your heart to have your places of shame and guilt and fear and disorder be seen and known and received in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as to the method of self-examination, Jesus instructs us, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. What might this self-examination look like in practice? Well, clearly Jesus is using hyperbolic language here to invite us to reflect. And so the first step in self-examination is reflection. This is why Jesus says, you hypocrite. The hypocrite is by definition... Someone who does not know their own heart. They think that the mask that they wear is who they are, rather than a cover for their true condition. A hypocrite is one who is clean on the outside of the cup, but is dirty inside, and live in a complete unawareness of this fact. This is why Jesus so frequently uses jarring language with the Pharisees. So we first must allow ourselves to be jarred by Jesus' shout of, you hypocrite, and begin to consider the true condition of our heart, that he might indeed be speaking to us personally and individually. The second step of self-examination is to, as Jesus says, take the log out. This can happen in a variety of ways, but I will commend to you two this morning. The first is prayer. This prayer of self-examination can look like the soliloquy of David. Why are you downcast, O my soul? There is a searching of your own heart, a speaking to your own soul that David models here that happens in the presence of God. It can also look like the invitational prayer of David, who said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. If the first part is prayer, the second part would be confession. James commands us to confess your sins to one another. This confession can be, first, an invitation to those who know you best. Perhaps it's a friend, or a spouse, or a pastor, or a mentor, or a coworker. This form of confession usually involves some kind of eating crow. Stating something like this I know I struggle to see my own heart. And I may have never asked you this before, but are there ways that I am falling short in loving you or others? Are there ways that I am sinning that you wished I could see? Are there parts of my character that are deformed that I am failing to notice? You can be sure that people will jump at the opportunity. To share with you your own faults they usually do it without asking so take the opportunity to listen this is where most all of us Christians could use a gentle rebuke from our friends in Alcoholics Anonymous and regularly practice steps four through ten which go something like this step four Made a searching and fearless invento- moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, to promptly admit it. And so, in closing, we come to the fruit of self-examination, which is what Jesus says is this, Then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. As seminarians, you are training for ministry in the Church of Jesus Christ. And a great deal of your work as you are sent out into Christ's flock will be taking specks out of brothers' and sisters' eyes. You will be most ably prepared for this work only when you have done this work yourself, only when you have first removed the logs that may be lodged in your vision. You will only be able to wisely serve the congregations Christ is calling you to when you have first gained wisdom in your own secret heart. The church needs more theologians of the heart who have become wise in Christ about their own hearts first and then are sent as wise servants to deal with the hearts of those to whom they have been called. It is to this and for the purpose of God's glory alone that we seek it. Let me pray. i want to give you just a moment here of silence to address God. Maybe there is a moment of confession and prayer that you need to take a moment here today. Father, it is very much in the realm of possibility for each of us to delude ourselves. To live in self-deception, to construct a theology of sin, but fail to notice the places where sin remains lodged within our own hearts, to fail to notice how it harms and wounds those you have called us to love. It is so difficult for us to see ourselves, to assess ourselves accurately in the light of Christ. And so it's my prayer that by the power of your Spirit, you would enlighten our hearts with the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See ourselves truly see ourselves as truly loved. I pray for these men and women here today, that in the practice of self-examination, you would make them a humble people, people who can readily admit where they are wrong or have been blind or ignorant. A people who give a broad measurement to others. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask for your aid and your help as we seek to be faithful to your word. Most of all, we give you thanks today for the gift of Jesus Christ. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So it is in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California